Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We are going to cover three different teams today. So a lot on our plate. We'll get to Auburn, Virginia Tech, as well as the University of Washington. We're going to hit on all of their notable prospects with three special guests. So that'll be coming up shortly. However, yesterday was the first day in which the Giants came back to the facility. They reported for the start of the off-season workout program. It's a nine-week workout program. This is phase one, Paul, and it's important to highlight, once again, in the CBA, it is a voluntary <laughs> period of time. Indeed it is, and not only is it voluntary, it's also very carefully regulated yes. by the CBA. We are strictly talking about strength and conditioning stuff. None of the actual position coaches are allowed to go out with the players onto the field during this time frame. So, you know, yes, they can chat. Yes, they can hand the materials. But, no, they can't take them out between the lines. Yes, a lot of it is basically working out in the weight room, building up your conditioning and your strength. I mean, that's really what the first phase of the mm -hmm. program is mostly about. Yes, giving the guys physicals, making yeah. sure that during the time away they didn't do anything so funky that there's so much out of conditioning and so much out of shape. You want to make sure that they were somewhere within the bound boundaries <laughs> of good taste and semblance of conditioning. But that's what this is all about right now. And we'll see, uh, you know, over the course of time as they start getting onto the field what we can look at on the field. But that's not, not today. Things will slowly grow over the course of exactly. time with respect to the off-season workout program. All right, we'll get to more on that in a little bit. Right now, we're going to turn our attention to the prospects from Auburn who will be drafted later this month. And we are joined very now, right now by a very special guest, and that is former Auburn quarterback, former Giants backup quarterback, Stan White, who is the radio analyst for the Auburn Radio Network. Stan, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Oh, my pleasure, guys. Things are great down here. How are you guys? I'll tell you what, Stan, it, it, the CBA and everything the way it works now in the springtime, nothing like when you were here at the Meadowlands, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just uh, getting ready for uh, off-season programs and workouts. And, uh, yeah, it's changed a little bit over the last 20 years. But uh, still, I uh, keep up with my Giants and uh, really a huge fan and uh, try to get up there as much as I can. Absolutely. Yeah, the CBA got a little thicker over the course of time over the last few decades. Well, let's start with the Auburn prospects. And the one of note is Carlton Davis, the cornerback who's got good size, good athleticism. The one thing that jumps out to me, Stan, is when you look at his interception numbers over the course of his career, that does not jump off the page. And normally NFL scouts, they get enamored with, well, are the interceptions up there? Is there any particular reason that's jumped out to you why his INT numbers weren't very high over the course of his collegiate career? Well, yeah, the one thing that they, they asked Carlton to do was play a lot more man-to-man -man coverage, and, and he was a, he's a long-rangey corner, and that's what you know NFL scouts and teams like now is, is the long-rangey guy. He's also a very physical guy. He's a very, very good run stopper, and, and he closes on you know, the outside uh, contained pretty well. Uh, but the one thing that I noticed over the course of his career is, is he was asked to kind of be on an island a lot of times. Even though he played some, some boundary corner, some more physical corner, he was also asked to play some man-to-man -man a lot of times on deep routes. So usually when you have the man-to-man -man coverage, you're not going to get as many picks. Uh, zone requires you or allows you to see the quarterback and see the eyes as opposed to, to straight man. So I would, I would attribute it to that as much as anything. 
Another guy who I think is going to see a lot of attention maybe in the, in the second round, at least that's some of the stuff that I've heard, is Kerryon Johnson, who in, in a lot of running back circles, when you hear about some of the guys who are going to be right behind Barkley in that second level of backs, he seems to get lost. And I don't hear a lot of headlines about him, but then people who know a lot about football say you better keep an eye on him. Yeah, and that's the one thing. He's not one of those guys that's going to awe you with a 40-time. Um, you know, he's not a real flashy type player. He's a, he's a bit taller. Uh, he's probably 6'1", close to 6'2". Uh, and so usually the running backs of today's era is going to be more of a 5'10", 6-foot type guy. But he's got really good hands. He, he can be a receiver out of the backfield. I don't see Carrion being a 30-carry type of guy in a game. I mean, he, he's going to touch the ball maybe 10, 12, 14 times, maybe as a third down back. Um, what what really impressed me this year is that his uh, his pass blocking ability. I mean, he was really able to protect Jarrett Stidham on the backside a lot of times, and he was put in a lot of situations, especially against the Nick Saban style defenses, where he was a one on one against a buck uh, end or or an outside linebacker, and, and he held his own. And so that's one thing that I think that he has improved on dramatically. He's he's a good running back. He's a shifty running back. He's got some power. Uh, he's got some speed, but he's not going to outrun anyone, so to speak. But but he's got really, really good hands, and he's just a headsy football player. So whoever gets him, whether it be a first day, second day, or whatever, they're going to get a good player. Lance, how did I know the quarterback would love the running back's pass protection? Yes. Well. Just a wild guess, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I noticed, and I, you alluded to this, Dan, when I've seen him on film, is you know he's got that power where, I mean, he's run over some defenders. Is he more of a downhill guy, or does he have the versatility that he's got some shiftiness to him that he can be utilized on the outside as well? You know, I see carry on, and, and this is by no comparison uh, a Le'Veon Bell by any means, so don't take it that way. But he's got a little bit of that patient shiftiness, if that makes sense. Yeah. He, he gets to the line of scrimmage, and he's just kind of a, a patient lateral, and then he'll pick a hole, and he'll put a foot, and he's got enough speed to get a couple extra yards. So, you know, by no means is he going to set over Le'Veon Bell, but if I had to compare him to an existing running back, I would say – He's got a little bit of that shiftiness about him, but he's also got some power to, to fold your head. And, and so, you know, he played uh, in, in Auburn system. He played some Wildcat at the quarterback situation down on short yardage. And, and he made a, actually he completed a couple of passes out of it on uh, short yardage as well. So, you know, he's just a smart ball player. Uh, you, you're going to get a great effort from him every time. He battled some injuries throughout his career, but, but most running backs are going to get nicked up, and especially in this conference. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I'm looking forward to seeing his career because he could be a really good and, and contributing special teams player, third down back. Um, I don't see him being a 25-kill-a-game type of guy. I just don't see that out of him. And maybe I'm wrong, but, um, but I think he can really be a good player in the NFL. I got another guy who really interests me a lot, Stan. He's going to be important to a running game wherever he winds up going. That's Braden Smith, uh, the, the offensive lineman. Now, I look at the measurables, 6'6", 315. A lot of people will say, well, 6'6", for a guard in the NFL, that's a little too tall. They want them to be a little bit more of a fire plug, you know, shorter and stouter. Uh, what are your thoughts about his possibilities as he comes up to the pro ranks? You know, the one thing that I've liked about Braden Smith since he stepped foot in Auburn is is he's kind of that nasty guy. I mean, he you're not going to outwork him. 
Uh, he's going to be in the gym. Um, he's not. He doesn't carry a lot of body fat. I mean, this is a guy you, you're never going to have to worry about him reporting to camp at 340. Uh, I mean, he's really, really into staying in shape. He's, he's light on his feet, so to speak, for a 6'6", 310, 315-pound guy. And he can get out in space, and he can pull. Um, mm-hmm. But what I love about him that he brings to the game is, is, is he's, he's got grit about him. He's a mean guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to get after you. He's not going to get put on his back very many times. And if he, if he gets beat on a, on a rush, you know, he's not going to let it happen again. So you've got to have those guys, those girl cows up front, that have a little bit of nastiness about him, and he's one of those guys. Talking with Stan White, former Auburn Giants quarterback, radio analyst for the Auburn Radio Network. On the flip side, a guy that they're going to have to maybe contain the offensive line in terms of pass rushing ability is the edge rusher Jeff Holland. And, you know, he seems to be a little raw. Numbers jump off the page at times. You know, what have you seen out of him where maybe he could be a more consistent player at the NFL level? You know, selfishly, guys, I wish he would have stayed one more year uh, at Auburn. Uh, obviously, he had a really impact year this year. And, and you know, I'm no scout or anything. I, I You know, he he may have benefited one more year, maybe jumping into that first round area, because this is a guy who jumped off the charts. So he, his numbers were not all that spectacular at all up until last year. And he really, really came on. And, of course, he replaced a Carl Lawson, who's having a good career, uh, it had a good uh, rookie year last year. And so this is a guy who really can be an impact player. But, you know, he really jumped off the charts as a pass rusher. And I think a lot of it has to do with he, he learned how to use his hands a lot more, getting off those tackles and, and really setting the edge pretty good. And so, you know, this is a guy that really, if you look at his numbers, I mean, he had as good a numbers as any rush guy in the SEC, maybe the country. And, and I think he's going to be an impact player. Um, I don't know if he'll come in to be an you know, all NFL rookie right away, but he's he's certainly got a chance to be a very good player. Stan, how is he in terms of stopping the run? Because as you mentioned, you know, when anybody looks at him, they think pass rush guy that gets to the quarterback, but does he have the versatility to be a guy that could stay on the field for all three downs? Well, that's the one thing he's going to have to develop into. I think he can be. He was at Auburn, uh, and, and he's got a little weight on him. He can put on some weight and still maintain his speed, but, but that's one area he's going to have to um, really at the next level, uh, shore his game up on is being able to take on those big tackles or those fullbacks and, and get off of that and, and be a run plugger as well because he improved his rush game on the pass dramatically last year. And he was a good run stopper as well, but that's one area that he's going to have to continue to work on his game uh, at the NFL level. So when he comes up to the pro stand, do you see him as an inside 3-4 guy? Now, I, I, I see him as a versatile guy. I, I think that he can certainly be a third-down rush guy, but he can. He can play in space. Uh, he, he wasn't asked to drop back very much last year and in, in his really his career into space on passing situations. But I think he could be an inside guy if need be, especially on third and long situation when you need maybe a not a 270-pound uh, you know, double team type guy where you can try to get some press down on the pocket and maybe collapse the pocket. One of the other guys who's getting a lot of attention is, is the kicker down there, Daniel Carlson, who a lot of folks think uh, could be even potentially maybe sneaking to the end of the second day. I don't know. That may be a little high, but you know what? Uh, the Giants right now have Aldrich Rosas going into his second season. They're certainly looking for competition there. What are your thoughts about Carlson as he enters the pro ranks? 
Well, I tell you, I, I personally have, have not seen a better kicker in college ball over the last handful of years. Now, the, the, the odd thing is he's been a, a semifinalist for the Groza, mm-hmm. I guess, three years running yeah. and, and was, you know, uh, second in command all those years. But this is a guy that's going to give you 60, 70 percent, maybe 80 percent touchback ratios. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Um, I mean, he is he is money outside of 50. Um, the odd thing about it is, guys, is he could be the second best in his family. <laughs> he's got a younger <laughs> brother that's going to be the kicker at Auburn this year, and he's already kicked a 62-64 yarder at Auburn in the in the spring game. I mean, this is a guy wow. that uh, that's going to be a great player. But Daniel Carlson, he doesn't look like him. He's a six-four, two hundred fifteen-pound kicker, and and he's got a big leg, and and he's going to consistently put it in the back of the end zone. But you know, I think that that NFL programs will be will be amazed at how consistent he can be outside of 50 uh, and that's you know, that's what you got to be at, at, at this level at the NFL level you got to be 80 85 percent inside of 40 mm-hmm. maybe more 90 percent mm-hmm. and then and then you got to be able to be 70 75 outside of 50 I mean, he's he's already there he's he's a he's a heck of a kicker and he's gonna he's gonna have a long career in the NFL Stan, last one for me. Auburn's got a lot of prospects. Is there anybody else that we haven't brought up that jumps out to you that should have perhaps be on the radar of NFL teams? I know they got two safeties in Steven Roberts and Trey Matthews, but anybody else in particular that jumps out to you? You know, you mentioned uh, you know, Trey Matthews. This is a guy who I think has got a chance to, to really work his way into it because this is a guy that started out at Georgia. Uh, he transferred to Auburn, was Auburn for three years, and he's just a hedgy player. He's a big He's a big safety. He's got to work on his hip movement a little bit on, on opening up and drop stepping, but he's a very physical safety. Uh, and, and I think he can make a team, not only make a team, be an impact on a team, especially uh, special teams wise. And then Steven Roberts is a little bit undersized guy. Uh, he's not, he's not as big as Trey Matthews, but he's just got a nose for the ball. So, uh, I'm anxious to see where they all go. Uh, you kind of nailed it on all those. There may be a few more here and there uh, that's going to get some chances. Uh, but but I'm really excited to uh, you know to see what those guys could do. All right, I'm going to tap into your radio booth mentality for just a second. Take me through the conference. Is there one guy who, during the course of Auburn's schedule this past season from the conference, that just stood out to you and said, my goodness, I would pay to watch this guy play any weekend? Wow, man, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, this conference, week in and week out. I know. I know. Auburn played the number one team in the, in the nation in Georgia and beat them, and then they got uh, the reward two weeks later of playing the number one team in Alabama <laughs> and beat them. And then as reward went off, the very next week they get to go to Atlanta to play possibly in the playoff and play Georgia again. So, uh, you know, week in and week out, you know, Georgia's got some really good running backs. I mean, those guys are good players. They've got a young guy that, you know, maybe they're older guys that are coming out of the draft, uh, you know, look, look like a second-rate guy. Not the, not, not the second-rate guys. He's just, a, he's just a very, very good player. The young freshman uh, for Georgia is a very good ball player. Alabama's always going to have a lot of top-notch players. They've got a young quarterback that's going to shake things up, obviously, down there that, that had a heck of a uh, national championship game in the second half. Uh, so that's a good problem to have. Two quarterbacks battling uh, out that have, that have shown themselves in the, in the spotlight. But you know, I look at guys like Dan Mullen's going to make a big difference in Florida right now. The SEC West guys has has kind of had the number for the last eight or two years. It's been really Alabama and Auburn and, and then LSU and then finally Georgia 
where Kirby Smart has really shown some waves. And, and I think Dan Mullen's going to get Florida back there. Will Muschamp, to me, and he's a friend of mine, he's doing a great job up in South Carolina, and he's continuing to build that program. So should be another good year in the SEC. But as far as players go, I know I didn't really answer that. I mean, week in and week out, I'm awed at, at, at guys that I see out there making plays and, you know, catching the ball, throwing the ball. So I think this year should be a really good year for quarterbacks. Jarrett Stidham at Auburn, I think, is going to have a big year like he did last year. And he'll he'll be a, definitely be a pro prospect one day with a possible – I mean, he's a, possibly a first-round guy. Well, I knew it was going to be a tough question because that's fertile ground for football. Let's let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> what, what do you think about the dynamic possibilities of Fitzpatrick, though, out of Alabama? I got I to gotta ask you that before we let you go because I know you guys played them. And let's face it, I mean, right now a lot of folks are thinking he's a t- potentially top five, top six pick and can play anywhere in the secondary. I'm sorry, who, who are you talking about again? Mika Fitzpatrick? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, really, really good player. I mean, what I, what I see about this kid is, is that, uh, you know, he is, has a nose for the football. He's a very, very intelligent football player. And, and I've watched him play, whether it be on TV, some film, or obviously against Auburn, and he has just got a nose for it. He can come off the edge on rushing, uh, on blitzes, on unique complex blitzes, and he can also play in coverage. Uh, he can break on the ball. I mean, this guy, he's going to be a very, very good player in the NFL. There's no question. Stan White, former Auburn and Giants quarterback, radio analyst for the Auburn Radio Network. Stan, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Stan. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Go Giants. Take care. Absolutely. Stan White, once again, weighing in on all the prospects out of Auburn and a number of intriguing players. It's funny. Stan uh, went to the World League. Uh, when he was with the Giants, he was one of those allocated players. I think he was with the London Monarchs. He was, indeed. Um, he was uh, battling behind, uh, you know, Dave Brown, Kent Graham. There was Tommy Maddox. There was Danny Cannell there for a little while. That was back in the mid-'90s. And Stan was always a really great guy to talk to. But, you know, as the, the quarterback shuffle was going on, he was always the guy who was like the developmental guy. So when the World League of American Football came into play, he was the guy the Giants sent over there to figure out, okay, let's see if they can help develop him while we're trying to get these other guys to win some games for us. More reps opportunities. And yeah. I, I, I think he was with the Giants for three years? Four, 94 was to 97. Four? And, you know, and he never got to play. As it turned out, he never got to play. But in any event, a really good guy, and you could hear it in his voice. He's still a giant at heart and certainly gave us a lot of good information, so we thank him. And he was on that 1993 undefeated Auburn team as well. Yeah. So certainly made a name for himself in college. All right, well, we just covered Auburn. We're now going to switch gears to Virginia Tech. Paul and I earlier today had an opportunity to speak with an opportunity to break down also the Virginia Tech Hokies players. So here is a breakdown of what to expect out of Va Tech moving forward in the 2018 draft. We're continuing to get you set for the upcoming 2018 NFL draft, and we are now turning our attention to the Virginia Tech football prospects. And here to break that down for us is Andy Bitter, who covers the Hokies football team for the Roanoke Times. Andy, you got Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here. Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. How's everything? Appreciate the time. Uh, everything's going pretty good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's start with the star player for Virginia Tech, and that is Tremaine Edmonds. And 
amongst all players that are getting set to be drafted this year, I feel as if his stock has skyrocketed over the last few seasons, specifically entering this year. A lot of people rave about his size, his athleticism. What specifically has jumped out to you about Tremaine Edmonds' play this past season? Well, I, I think you look at him and you just kind of marvel that a guy that big can move so effortlessly and as quickly as he can. I mean, he's 6'5", 250 pounds, and he's as fast as any linebacker that I've seen. So uh, to be of that size and be able to move like that, uh, he's not yet 20 years old, I think. or He's right on the borderline of turning 20 years old. He's only... Uh, you know, all the Edmonds brothers reclassified when they were coming up through uh, middle school to high school. So they're a year younger than their their classmates. Uh, you throw that all in there, and I think people look at the potential of this guy and go, man, if you can get him in here this young and he's got that size and that mobility and can teach him a system, uh, you can have a pretty good guy for a long time in the NFL. Now, as he goes into the uh, the pro ranks, do you see him better suited to a 3-4 or a 4-3? A lot of scouts have said to me they think he's going to be an outside linebacker. But let's face it, at 250-something pounds, uh, you know, that's that's a little big to be an outside guy. A lot of folks want that sturdy body on the inside. Yeah, I, I think that's sort of part of the draw of him, too, is he can play both of those spots. I think he's got a, a pass rushing capability that maybe hasn't been tapped into that much. Uh, Virginia Tech had him do a little bit of that, and he got to the quarterback uh, on a couple of occasions, but he wasn't really sort of unleashed as a full force sort of pass rushing guy. So I think he's got that capability, which is why I think like an outside linebacker type uh, in whatever scheme they want to play him in uh, might be his, his long-term home. But, you know, talking to some of these draft experts and stuff uh, leading up to this thing, a lot of things I hear about him is, oh, he can play inside or outside. That kind of adds to his value. How high have you been hearing it in terms of where he may land and what potential teams are interested in him? You know, I've heard mostly sort of in that 10 to 12 range, I think. I think there's always going to be sort of a limit to how high a linebacker ever goes in the draft. You don't really see those guys going top three or top five all too often. But uh, I think of like Anthony Barr or somebody like that who was in that sort of 8 to 12 range. I forget exactly where he went. But uh, that's what I've seen a lot of. Uh, as you know, in the draft, who really knows once it comes down to it? But uh, he, he doesn't play sort of that premium position like t- left tackle or quarterback that you know teams are going to take in the top five regardless. So I, I could see him being late top ten sometime around then. Does he get bonus points for being what they call a legacy pick because his dad did play in the NFL? Uh, he was a tight end with the Dolphins, and and so many times we we'll hear about that pedigree. Maybe artificially raises a guy a couple of uh, notches. Maybe other that he wouldn't be if he wasn't related it might uh the you know the Edmonds family is an interesting one i mean he's got two brothers too that are older than him uh trey uh was an undrafted free agent last year who lapsed on with the saints and actually made the team uh his other brother terrell is older than him is also in this draft uh maybe a third or fourth round safety that could go somewhere along there so this family just seems to know how to do it right i mean it wasn't just Farrell, the the father that made it to the nfl trey the older brother made it when a lot of people didn't think he did and and then they look at tremaine here and they go man this is the most physically uh talented of the group uh i think it's just a family that has their heads on straight and sort of knows how to go about being an athlete and being a professional athlete Talking with Andy Bitter, who covers the Virginia Tech football team for the Roanoke Times. Andy, you just brought up his brother Terrell, and I know Terrell, I believe, started off as a corner and then obviously has transformed to a different position. 
as you've seen and followed his evolution of a player, I mean, what is his strengths and where do you think his ideal best fit is in the NFL? Uh, I would say safety. I, I think he he started out of corners because there was a need there, and then they moved him to free safety and rover uh, the last couple years, and he added a lot of size, I think. So he's probably bigger than you would want from a cornerback right now, but he has those cover skills from the past. Uh, I, I think his most impressive thing is just his athleticism. and I, I look at him, and his body type is just sort of something that I haven't seen a whole lot. Uh, even for a safety, he's just got like really long arms and like very broad shoulders and just a, and sort of an athletic freak out there. Uh, I think that sort of runs in the Edmonds family. Uh, you know, he got hurt last year. I don't think he had as strong of a season as he wanted last year, certainly in coverage in some aspects. Uh, got hurt at the end of the year with a shoulder surgery at the midst of the last couple years. Uh, but the year before that, I thought he was one of the best safeties in the ACC. Uh, up there with Derwin James and, and Quinn Blanding of Virginia. Uh, maybe they didn't quite get the do that those guys did, but I, I thought he was every bit as effective on the field as those two. Another guy on defense who I expect is going to see uh, a lot of draft interest is that defensive tackle, Tim Settle. Boy, is he a big mountain of a man. <laughs> He used to be even bigger. He came in to Virginia Tech at 360 pounds. Was he? And, uh, re- he redshirted that first year, and you know the coaches basically told him, "Like, listen, you can't play at 360 pounds. You, you'll be you'll play one play, and you'll have to come off the field." Uh, and to Tim's credit, he got down to 330 in that year. So I mean, he cut 30 pounds from his freshman year to his his redshirt freshman season, and it showed up on the field. He could actually go for a few more plays, and then uh, as a redshirt sophomore, sort of had his breakout year. How much of a concern is it, though, that he can maintain a specific weight at the next level and his conditioning will stay intact? You know, I, I think it's always a, a moderate concern with a guy of that size. Um, I think in Tim's case, he's very motivated by what uh, people think about him in situations like that. He was a guy coming out of high school that I think scared off a lot of programs in terms of qualifying for college. Uh, he was sort of on that borderline of Virginia Tech uh, went with him, and he, you know, he worked really hard to qualify and not go to, to prep school before that. When a lot of people didn't think he could, I think a lot of he, he feels the same way about his weight. Where a lot of people are like, "Well, he's never going to get his weight down." Uh, and you know, Tim's a big guy; he's never going to be uh, svelte two fifty or, <laughs> or anything like that. I mean, he's, just, he's a large guy from a large family, and he's going to be that big. But uh, you know, I think even at the combine, he, he got down to maybe 325 or something like that. I, I think he can play at that size because he's got unusual quickness uh, for a guy that big. So uh, I think he can maintain it over time because I think he's properly motivated to do that. But I, I would agree that probably is a concern on him going into the draft. I want to flip it to the offensive line because we're told that interior offensive linemen, you know, there, there are guys that could be third-round picks who are going to have make-it grades. And one of those guys might be Wyatt Teller, who, uh, you know, has, has done a pretty good job for that program. Yeah, he's been their best offensive lineman for basically the last four years. Uh, you know, it, it was sort of a quest. He moved over from defensive line originally, and it was a question of how quickly he could pick it up. Uh, you know, when the coaching transition happened from Frank Beamer to Justin Fuente, I think there was sort of a little bit of a concern about how to, to reach him and how to coach him. Uh, you know, he's, he's spoken about how the, the fact that he has ADD and is sort of not focused sometimes and it's tough to rein in. Uh, I think the new coaches eventually found a way to reach him and sort of get him to, to focus in on everything. And his game really took off. He was a first-team All-ACC guy last year. 
uh, I want to say had as good or close to as good of a season as a junior and didn't get that recognition. But uh, he's been the offensive line MVP on this team for the last four years. Uh, really has a, a strength component. I mean, you look at his arms, they're just massive. I honestly think he could be a professional wrestler uh, <laughs> if he didn't get into the, the NFL on this. He sort of has that personality uh, to go with stuff. But he, he was a very solid guy uh, for the Hokies for four years. I think uh, could surprise some people uh, once he actually gets to an NFL team. You like him better as a run blocker or, or pass blocker? I mean, I know he's an inter- interior guy, but they got to pick up stunts when they get to the NFL. Yeah, definitely a run blocker. Uh, he can move. I, I wouldn't say mobility is his uh, his top thing there, but he is a powerful guy. I mean, he put a lot of defensive linemen on their backsides uh, in college, uh, probably more more suited to a run-blocking style scheme than a pass-blocking. Andy, it's interesting you brought up that he was dealing with ADD because everything I've read is a lot of scouts who have watched him have said there was a noticeable difference in terms of his consistency from 2016 to 2017. So, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you think it had more to do with maybe the medical condition and not being motivated by the coaching staff as opposed to his actual skill set? Perhaps. I mean, I think he's just a guy that sometimes was sort of in and out of it uh, mentally, and maybe that does show up on the field a little bit. But, I mean, when he's tuned in and when he's – He's all there. I mean, he was by far their best lineman and by far worthy of a first-team All-ACC pick. I mean, I think he got the second-most votes for the uh, Jacobs blocking trophy, which is something the coaches vote on in the mm-hmm. ACC. So uh, certainly is, is, you know, the coaches think a great deal about him and it's somebody they had to think of uh, every time they lined up against the Hokies offense. Anyone else on the squad that we haven't touched who you think could be a sleeper that might find themselves uh, in contention for an NFL roster? Yeah, there are a couple of cornerbacks, uh, Brandon Faison and Greg Stroman. Uh, those were, were veteran guys on this team last year. Str- Faison's a little bit uh, taller. I think he's like 6'2", uh, 190, maybe 200, somewhere in that range. Sort of a, a, a bigger cornerback. Uh, sort of burst on the scene and had injury problems over his career. Uh, but he turned it on late and had very solid junior and senior seasons. Uh, didn't get any all-ACC recognition, but probably could have. He, he didn't really have any interceptions or anything like that, so I think that held him back. Stroman is a guy that's a little bit smaller, and I, I, I worry about his size in terms of playing in the NFL. Uh, it was a concern when he got to college, and eventually he proved that not to be an issue, but the NFL is a whole different thing. Uh, but he does have some punt return skills. Uh, I think he had five punt returns for touchdowns in his career at Virginia Tech. Uh, so he's got that element to his game that if you're drafting him, you're not just drafting him to play cornerback. He could be a, a pretty explosive return man as well. Well, at 5'11 and in the 4'4s, you'd have to consider they would probably look at him in the slot, no? Yeah, I, I think that would be uh, the position that he would have to play the most. Uh, I just can't see him on the outside hanging with some of these 6'4", 6'5", sure. receivers all that well. Even though he did that occasionally in college, uh, it's just – you know, it's a different size and strength component in the NFL that uh, he's just a very slight person relative to those other guys. I, I worry about that. All right, Andy Bitter covers the Virginia Tech football team for the Roanoke Times. Andy, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Andy. All right, thanks for having me.
So that was our breakdown of the Virginia Tech prospects. We covered Auburn earlier in the show. In a little bit, we're going to then focus to Washington. Damon Heward, former NFL quarterback, will join us then. In the meantime, I want to try to squeeze in a few phone calls. I yeah. know we've been very busy with guests over the last two days. You want to weigh in on the offseason workout program, the draft, you name it. So let's get to the lines at 201-939-4513. Joe is in Dallas. Joe, what's happening? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Looking forward to getting football season going. Absolutely. So what do you got for us today, Joe? Um, I'm a big Giants fan. You know, uh, when I play Madden NFL 18, I only choose the Giants. I don't choose another team. So I just want to give a shout-out to all <laughs> okay. the Giants fans. And uh, fullback play. I think uh, all the offseason and the drafts, who we get in number two draft, uh, I was almost kind of hoping maybe we could even get a fullback for the draft on uh, number two uh uh, draft, but I think our season has, you know, if you look at any Super Bowl we've ever won, has always been built around a, a sound running game, and uh, I've tweeted out to Shane Smith, and he liked my tweet, you know, I think our season lies on, on the fullback shoulders' hands, you know, uh, so I kind of hope uh, our play calling is centered around that, you know, we can get all our off-season trades and, and all that, but uh, Eli's a great quarterback, but he's just not built for 40 and 50 pass yards attempts, so I hope to see. Uh, hope we get a good fullback game going. You know that's an interesting question because, or I should say, comment because in our conversations with Pat Shermer to this point, as well as new offensive coordinator Mike Shula, that question has yet to come up uh, in terms of do they want to have a fullback on the roster? Now, what I will tell you is. You know this, Dave Gettleman, the new GM, is very much in favor of running the football. And he loves those hog mollies up front. And it's no coincidence that you said the Giants, they they had a running game and they had a good offensive line and they had a blocking back in those championship years under Tom Coughlin and also under Bill Parcells. So the question becomes now, do they have a fullback on the roster? Shane Smith is the holdover, as you've mentioned already. Um, Red right. Ellison can be used as a fullback. Red Ellison so can be used one. as a and fullback. He has connections to Pat Shermer in Minnesota. He does. Yeah. So, you know, I'll be honest with you. If the Giants were to get Saquon Barkley with the number two pick overall in the draft, I would be inclined to use some double tight end formations. Not necessarily have a fullback in those sets but go double tight end and have Ellison just stay in to yeah. help out whichever one of the tackles they feel needs a little help. I mean, again, usually you run strong side right, so it's probably going to be that side. But I'd have no problem running out of a single back double tight end set and, and using Ellison's blocking prowess along the line of scrimmage instead of lining up a fullback. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, of course, in this day and age, going with multiple formations and packages is the norm. It helps Eli out. But I kind of remember the fullback plays back, uh, you know, when we won our very last Super Bowl, when we started putting the fullback over the left guard and the right guard and kind of starting one way and then having Brandon Jacobs keep a straight line but going back the other way, you know, running straight into the A-gaps. I miss that. You know, it, it just – it makes the Giants a mean, rough football team. You know, uh, uh, every quarterback, you know, should always take a couple of drives off in a game. And I kind of miss the, the, the running style, you know, with the fullback. You know, you didn't always have to try to get 
secure the outer edge. Sometimes just running straight ahead and just hitting the middle linebacker right in the mouth, you know, was what got us there. We all remember how uh, the three-back package that we had with the Giants in the last Sure, yeah, sure. Hit, uh, Brandon Jacobs down. I kind of miss those. I miss those plays. and so I promise to tell Henry Hanaski that you called. <laughs> he, he will very much like to hear that. <laughs> okay. And appreciate the phone call, Joe. Thanks so much for weighing in. Thank and you, Joe. I think the utilization of multiple tight ends is probably the best bet if you want to start to speculate as to how maybe the Giants could incorporate a fullback. I think Ellison's familiarity with Shermer, Shermer's familiarity with Ellison certainly helps. And yeah. Ellison was on the roster last year. His usage wasn't very high because we didn't see a lot of two tight ends. So, you know, this season they could very well go in that direction. Uh, no question. And, I, look, I know Shane Smith is back. And last year he made the team as an undrafted rookie free agent, and he certainly has designs on making the roster again this year. The question will be, do they want to have a dedicated roster spot for a fullback it's something we're gonna have to check on as we uh, get closer to the uh, off-season team activities well that's why if you want to utilize a fullback on the roster you have somebody that could play tight end you kill two birds mm -hmm. with one stone and i think that warrants a roster spot all right let's head back to the lines len is in columbia maryland len what's happening hey guys how you doing hi, hi len what do you got for us good 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 hey just just a quick comment that uh Logo um, on the curtain behind you is, is yeah, I mean, it's classic. It's, it's great to see that. Well, we that, figure you would like the old school stuff. That's why we put it up. We put man, it up just to appeal back, to you. That goes back 65 years. It's a beauty. Okay, listen, um, I, I like the idea of a fullback on the team. It's just got to be the right fullback. Yeah. And I'm not sure we've got the right fullback on the roster at this particular point. Not sure. I, I, yeah. Um. I'm I'm leaning toward Barkley um, for a variety of reasons that we, that we've talked about before, and I think he gives us um, the most bang for our buck, the most value going into 2018. Uh, I like the way he was described yesterday uh, by both Jack Ham and the guy from uh, Orlads, Dan Shanka. Yeah, as. Um, he called him a weapon, and I think that that's a good way to describe him. And you can't have enough of those guys. I, I think if we want to move forward from three and thirteen, I, I think uh, he's a guy who's going to get on the field on the first day and give us give us the most value. I, I have one concern, and I, I would really like your opinion on this about Barkley. Um, geez, Penn State got value out of him. He, he he just got the ball an awful lot in three years. I mean, if you combine his carries and his receptions over a three-year period of time, I, I mean, it's almost 800 times he had the ball in his hand. Um, I, I don't see anybody else in the draft. The guy from uh, Oregon, Freeman, he, he's off the charts. He's, he's close, to, but he played four years. But, geez, he's, he's, he's close to 1,000 touches over a four-year period. But... 775 to 800 sounds like a lot to me, and you wonder about wear and tear uh, on Barkley already. You guys have any comment on that? Any thoughts about that? Well, as far as I know, he came through those carries and touches healthy. And if he had been banged up at all or had suffered a significant injury during that time, I would be much more concerned about it. The fact that he's come through healthy is okay. a little bit less of an issue for me because, yeah. quite honestly, Len – 
if he lasts five or six years and on the back end maybe he loses yeah. a year or two, well, yeah. that's not that's not your concern right now, is it? Okay. If you can get five great yeah. years out of him, wouldn't yeah, you take yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. I thought you would. Just, just, we just we, we got to yeah, run. Our next guest is on I mean, the line, Len. We got to run. Let, yeah, run. We'll, uh, we'll Call definitely back catch up on future okay. shows. Appreciate the time. Thank Keep you. in mind, Saquon Barkley also is a special teams player. Yes. So if you're going to utilize him at the next level, you're going to want to balance things out, of course. We'll get more on Barkley in a little bit. Right now, we turn our attention to the Washington Huskies and their prospects. And we are now joined by former NFL quarterback, former Huskies quarterback, and that is Damon Heward, who is also a member of the Washington Huskies Sports Network. Damon, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Oh, everything is great other than the rain out here. You know, this time of year, you, you watch the Masters and you see people in their shorts and polos and you're like, is, is that really the weather in other places in America right now? Uh, <laughs> hey, Damon, Damon, uh, I can't feel too sorry for you because yeah. here in New York, we've had like four snowstorms in the past four and a half weeks. <laughs> yes, yeah, spring has yet to start warming, here. Right? So, <laughs> Yeah, really, tell me about it. Well, let's focus on the Washington Huskies prospects, and a guy that certainly jumps off the page, both physically and mentally, I would say, is Vita Vea. Quite a presence. Uh, Mm. His ability to get to the quarterback is extremely intriguing, though. From what I've seen and from what I've read, Damon, a a number of scouts are a bit concerned that he hasn't necessarily corrected perhaps some of the technique issues that showed up in previous years. What have you seen out of Vita over the last few years in terms of his progress as a player? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's been pretty awesome. You know, just obviously you mentioned his the physicality and the size he has. Um, you know, he there's no doubt he can be a bull rusher at times and get away from his technique because he's that talented and can get away with it. Um, but, I mean, I, I would just, the production, and, and you put the tape on and you watched how dominant he was for us uh, each year getting better and better and better. Um, you know, obviously the comparisons are going to be to Danny Shelton, who was a you know, top 15 yeah. pick uh, for the Cleveland Browns a couple years ago since traded to New England. I think, um, you know, Vita uh, is, is even maybe a little more raw, to your point, but the upside is just incredible. Uh, his size, strength, and speed, you know, watching him run sideline to sideline, watching him on special teams, you know, at six foot five, three hundred and fifty pounds, the way he moves. Uh, I don't know if there's a better athlete on the defensive line than Vita Vea coming into this draft here this month. Damon, is it fair to say that you think he could make a, a, a pro team that much better in a four three or a three four? He's got that much athleticism and size and power, so much with his package that he doesn't need to necessarily fit into a certain scheme, correct? I would agree with that, yeah. I mean, he could be a nose guard or he could be, yeah, a, a one technique, a three technique because of his athleticism. You know, he's not just a stand-up plug, you know, fill gaps guy. I mean, he is a guy that is going to penetrate and, and wreak havoc and, and I think would be effective in, in either uh, particular scheme. Um, I don't think you draft him uh, specifically for scheme. I think you draft him for his ability to um, you know, not only stop the run, but be an interior guy that can put pressure on the quarterback like he did here at Washington. Personality-wise, I mean, what is he like in the locker room? What's jumped out to you with respect to that? Yeah, he's a great kid. Always has a smile on his face. Um, you know, was an outstanding student here. Um, really took pride in the classroom. Finished with um, you know over a 3.0. 
Um, you know, he was a kid coming out of high school who had some academic issues, didn't quite qualify for some schools because of I think he didn't have a foreign language, um, uh, but really worked on that his year out and got squared away and got accepted to Washington. So, um, but when he got here, man, he really turned it around like a lot of kids do under Chris Peterson. You, you know, you have to or you're not going to be here. And uh, so he learned to get it done, and I think he's grown up a lot in his time as a Husky, and I think he's ready for the next chapter in his life in the National Football League. Damon, the numbers I saw at the Combine, 6'4", 347 was the measurements that I saw. Do you expect mm-hmm. him to play at that weight in the pros, or when he gets up to the NFL, do you think uh, the NFL strength and conditioning guys will try to adjust his body somewhat, and that may or may not have an impact on his game? I'm not lying when I tell you that at 347 pounds he's 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 skinny. He's not fat. <laughs> Adjusted. I don't. I mean, our strength, our strength staff, and and what we do here at Washington. Um, I'm, you know, no one worked harder in the weight room and doing all that he did here. Um, and he's going to play at that weight and play effectively. He's he's not out of shape at 350 pounds. Trust me. Um, I mean, I got people call me up from the combine like, are you, I've never seen a guy 350 pounds like look like he could actually gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is uh, yeah. an unusual take on a player. You don't necessarily see that very often. We're talking with former NFL and Huskies quarterback Damon Heward. You can also hear him on the Washington Huskies Sports Network. I want to move to another notable player, and that is Dante Pettis, who has some good family genes, Damon, in terms of his father played Major League Baseball. Gary, his older cousin Austin, who was with the Rams as a wide receiver. He has impressive numbers as a receiver, also very impressive in terms of a special teamer. Where do you see him fitting in in the NFL level, especially when you take into consideration his route tree as a receiver? Yeah, he's a really talented guy, just an outstanding football player. Um, I, you know, Dante, you know, right away can, can be your number three, number four receiver. Um, but then what the value that he brings is obviously the special teams. Uh, I think eventually he can move up to be maybe that number two guy. Um, he is that talented. But, you know, receivers usually take a little bit of time. Um, but uh, for sure, just go ahead right now. Put him back there as your punt return guy. He's the best I've ever seen in college football. I mean, he has nine returns for touchdowns, I think, which is an NCAA record. And um, just his ability to catch a ball and this sudden movement like as he catches it. You know, usually there's someone right in your face right away as you catch this thing. His ability to make that first guy miss, and then and then he's just a glider. I mean, he just you know he covers ground with his long stride. Um, he's just so natural uh, as a as a punt returner, um, the best I've seen. And so you know you know he's he's probably gonna be a second round draft pick if I had to guess. Uh, you know, had an injury at the end of the year. Um, you know, he just did all his testing, I believe, for the first time last week. But, uh, you know, you're getting a real outstanding multidimensional football player in Dante Pettis um, who's going to do great things at the next level as well. What, what about going over the middle, Damon? So many times we hear yeah. about guys who, you know, they're, they're a boundary receiver and they're fine on the outside, but if they got to switch positions or play at some slot or play over the middle, that's going to become a little bit of an issue. Is that a concern for you at all? Well, I don't know. What, what would you be more afraid of? Maybe catching a punt with 10 dudes coming down and <laughs> knocking you in the head or going over the middle with a free safety knocking you in the head? Yeah. I, he, the guy is fearless. He is. I'll, I'll put it at that. Okay. You know, so 
<laughs> yeah, he, he'll be fine going over the middle. The kid plays hard, man. He He's not afraid of that. He just makes people miss. He never takes that big hit. He's kind of that glider, that slippery guy, you know, but he's a tough guy too, trust me. Okay, very good, because his frame, his frame seemed a little slight, and that's why I wanted to ask the question. I would agree with you, yeah. I mean, you look at him, and he's not all rocked up and that and whatnot, but he's, he's you know, some of those guys – just they don't take the big hit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Marcus Allen was that guy. You know, it seems like Le'Veon Bell's kind of that guy. They just, you know, they're not real big and physical looking, but boy, they just they never they never get hit hard. You know, they find a way to just kind of you know slithery and and that that's Dante. Damon, I'm curious. You had John Ross a year ago, mm-hmm. and obviously, I'm yeah. sure he benefited from playing across him with Ross out of the equation. How did that change how much attention Pettis saw and his production? Yeah, a lot, without a doubt. You know, teams rolled up to his side. And, you know, we had a couple other complimentary receivers earlier in the year that, you know, Dante's numbers got off to a pretty good start. And then we lost both those kids, Chico McClatcher, Hunter Bryant. And um, and we were really thin at receiver kind of the back half of the season. And, and certainly Dante's numbers weren't what they normally are just because of what teams you were know, rolling up to his side and, and, you know, putting their best player, following him around and did different things to try to take him away. So, And I will also say that we were a team that really leaned on running the football much more so in 2017 than we did in 16 when he had the big numbers. Um, we, we faced some teams, UCLA, for example. I don't, I don't know if we threw the ball 15 times. Their run defense was so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ran, ran it 50 times, and that's all we had to do to, to, to beat them. So, you know, I think philosophically with our personnel played a part of that. And certainly defenses, um, you know, uh, were aware of Dante Pettis without John Ross and a few of our other weapons on the field. Damn it, at one time, uh, Azim Victor was up uh, for the Butkus Award, uh, broke his mm-hmm. leg, has had some off-the-field off issues. Uh, how has his stock been hurt by those situations, and is there a possibility that he can get things on the right track to where he could be a productive NFL player? No question, yeah. I mean, it was obviously a tough year for Azim with so many expectations, and and um, just uh, unfortunately – uh, didn't live up to it. You know, I think the, the biggest thing that killed him was in the Apple Cup of uh, 2016, you know, he broke his leg. I mean, there was a chance he was he was probably going going out to the NFL um, after his uh, junior year and probably would have been a you know second, third-round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the injury really set him back. Uh, in the offseason, um, he lost a lot of weight with it he couldn't you know move and lift weights the way he wanted to and then you know coming back into the season trying to put all the weight back on got off to a bad start got in some trouble off the field all that being said it was just one of those years where nothing went right for Azeem um, but all that being said yeah there's a chance this guy could could absolutely um, you, know, you know step up and learn from that experience and and and, um, and I think he's grown up he's He's graduated. He's a good guy. He does a lot of neat things in our community. Had a bad year, and uh, he's got his bad body back in shape. I think he proved to everybody at the combine. Did some really neat things with his numbers, and you know somebody's going to take a, sh- a shot at him, and 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 it, <laughs> it could pay big big time dividends with uh, his potential. They listed him at six one two forty and ran a four seven two. Those those numbers sound pretty good to you. 
They sound really good to me okay. for, for a, a middle linebacker yep. who, you know, I know plays fearlessly and loves to hit, and that, that's kind of what he was known for was his physicality. I think at that weight um, and uh, that, that sort of speed, that, that that fit in pretty well with a lot of middle linebackers at the I, next I, level. I guess what I should have said, rather than do they sound good, do they sound accurate to you is what I actually <laughs> meant. I wasn't trying to oh, be a sorry. wise guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, 240, that's, 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 that's the heaviest I've seen him, but – um, but but it's good weight, you know, if he's still okay. running four seven. Yeah, you know, for, sure. for sure. Yep. Another linebacker, Keyshawn Bieria, I know maybe not nearly as much athleticism as the other linebacker that you just mentioned, but I mean what mm-hmm. type of a role do you think maybe he could carve out at the next level? I know he's projected to go perhaps in one of the late rounds. Yeah. And I think just because of that athleticism is what's going to push him down. This guy is what we call around here an OKG from the Chris Peterson terms, which is our kind of guy. This was a team <laughs> captain, team leader, uh, did everything, was the go-to guy in the locker room. So this is the, the captain, the quarterback of your defense kind of kid. I played a lot of football here. I see him, um, you know, John Timu was kind of that guy three or four years ago. It was a free agent for the Bears. I think he starts for him now, middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. Keyshawn B.A. is the same kind of kid. Um, just, you know, like I said, the quarterback of our defense here the past few years. And um, just a great, great person, another great student. And he'll play on special teams right away and, and, and work his way into the lineup of the team, in my opinion. Talking with Damon Hubert, former NFL quarterback as well as Huskies quarterback. Last one for me, Damon, and this is also a guy that I think is raw, just appealing because he was a defensive player and then he switched cards to tight end, and that's uh, Will Disley. Uh, What's the upside for somebody like him? His numbers don't jump off the page, but I'm curious from a blocking standpoint, do you see a role for him as a tight end in the NFL? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just not enough of the old school kind of tight ends uh, in college football today that yeah, um, tell me about it. That NFL teams are looking for him. You know? <laughs> yeah, this kid's um, you know uh, pushing six five, a solid six four, I believe would be his numbers from the combine. Um, you know, two hundred and sixty pounds, uh, very pretty fluid athlete uh, for his size, um, and um, yeah, takes a lot of pride in, in blocking and will be great in the run game at the next level. And, uh, you know, maybe not the, the freak athlete that, you know, some of these first-day tight ends are. But uh, because of his, well, he'll be a durable kid, but also the flexibility of playing him in the run game and also slipping out for a pass. Um, you know, I, I see him uh, definitely playing in the National Football League. All right, well, Damian Hubert, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we'll be monitoring whether or not Vita Vea has the opportunity to put some more weight on as he enters <laughs> the NFL, Damon. That'll be the storyline we'll be watching. So, I don't think you're going to need to send him a care package, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks oh, again, it. David. Thanks, Damon. All right, boys. Have a great day. You, you as too. Well. See Former okay, NFL bye. and Huskies quarterback Damon Heward, Washington Huskies Sports Network analyst as well, going around the different prospects. And uh, Vita Vea, I don't remember ever hearing a guy who's about 355 pounds does, doesn't look the part. He actually looks rather slim. Uh, exactly. And I guarantee you that Vita is probably saying to Damon now, I'd like to bring you to the NFL with me so that when <laughs> I do gain a few pounds, they don't find me. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> so that Damon can present what he went through during college yep. and how it's not make necessarily the case. Yeah, make, make the, case. the case for a few more pounds. Exactly, for him to go into the lunchroom <laughs> and uh, pack it in. But uh, we certainly appreciate Damon's insight. So you heard from Virginia Tech, 
you got Auburn as well as Washington over the course of this program, a number of different prospects to keep close tabs on moving forward as we inch closer. We are nearing that two-week barometer now, Paul. Felt like miles and miles away from the draft, and now we're inching and inching closer. It's finally getting closer, and you can start to feel it now that the offseason program has started and players are in the building again. That's, that's kind of like when the, uh, the guy at the Indy 500 says, Gentlemen, start your engines! <laughs> right? Yes. Well, they're blazing ahead as we speak. Real quickly before we wrap up the program, Pat Shermer spoke to the media during a conference call yesterday, as yes. did Eli Manning and Landon Collins. Correct. And, you know, Shermer talked about what his message to the team was as they get started. And even though there's been a great deal of turnover on this roster, Paul, Shermer still keeps referring to what happened last season and making the team aware that they want to distance themselves from 3-13 and as much as possible, whether you were in a Giants uniform and experienced that last mm -hmm. season or you did not experience that last season. Well, and and the reason for that is because he's putting a lot of onus on these players, telling them it's not just up to the coaches to make you better. It's about you guys, yourselves, driving your, your truck to make yourselves better. We'll help you. You know, as a team, we're going to get better. But each individual player needs to do what he needs to do during the offseason season to make themselves better. The coaches can only assist in that. They can't do it for these guys. And I think that's the overall point that he's really trying to hammer home and why he stresses, hey, that's it. Last season, forget it, man. That's That, that was not good. You don't want to do that again. Got to build. Shermer also confirmed Odell Beckham was present for day one of the offseason workout program. Eli Manning also spoke, and he said that he's started to – meet the new offensive lineman, Nate Solder and Patrick Omame, and hasn't necessarily had any on-the-field work. but I he, hope he had gifts. Well, he, I'm sure <laughs> over the course of the season he may have gifts depending on production, Paul. May not jump ahead so quickly. But he did say that the interaction has started with respect to Indeed. the offensive lineman, and he's obviously looking forward to jumping right into the new offense because one of the things that Eli mentioned was he and Davis Webb have been in the facility pretty much the entire offseason prior they to the have. workout program, and what they had been doing, since you don't have the ability to interact with the coaching staff and you can't get into the playbook, they started studying Vikings film, Paul, from mm -hmm. the Vikings last That's year correct. just to get an idea of, okay, these are the types of tendencies and things that we're going to see with respect to this new offense. That is correct. And final point for me is that Pat Shermer made it clear with only Eli and Davis Webb in the building as the two quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, they will split all of the work during the offseason program, at least leading into the draft. You don't know what the Giants are going to do, but right now, that's it. Those two guys are going to do everything between the two of them. So there's no third quarterback coming in here, no veteran free agent that's going to sign now and take some of that stuff away. Davis Webb is going to get his share of those reps as they try to coach him up and get him ready. Now, the one thing I do want to add to that is when Pat Shermer spoke to the media at the owners' meeting, he emphasized that while Davis Webb is going to split reps with Eli Manning, let's not make it out to be as if this is Davis Webb's pro day where it's Davis no. Webb front and center and they're going to be examining be every unfair. single one of his throws. No, because I know the media had been pressing that narrative and that well. storyline about how he's going to be really put under the microscope to maybe dictate what they do with the number two overall pick. What's a media barbecue without a fire? Of course. Come on. So I'm just throwing that out there because Pat Shermer went out of his way to say this is not his pro day. No. And and he the other thing that he mentioned was whether or not 
Davis Webb was young, old, in between, and regardless of what they're looking at at the draft, because, like you said, there's only two quarterbacks on the roster, he was going to get a lot of work to begin with heading in to the off-season workout program mm-hmm. because there's only so many QBs mm-hmm. that they have available to make throws at this point. And if they need another arm, Jeff Fiegels will volunteer. Absolutely. Yes, Jeff has been warming it up. I'm sure you would be willing to maybe <laughs> throw a few down the field as well. You've had your fair share of reps over the course of your career. With that being said, certainly appreciate all three of our guests. The archive will be up later today. So if you missed any of the interviews, you can go back and watch to get some insight on the various prospects. Big Blue Kickoff Live will be up and running tomorrow. We will focus on Oklahoma, and we'll also focus on a national perspective as well. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.